Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie, have a rewatch and a little bit of a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade and welcome back. You've watched it so many times before and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it and now you show it to your friends and they're like, what? What am I watching? Why? What? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Corey from Podcasting After Dark. Hello, Corey. Hey, how's it going, Emily? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, thank you so much for coming on. And your chosen movie is 1982's Tron. The IMDb breakdown. A computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games where his only chance of escape is with the help of a heroic security program. What is your relationship with this movie? Oh, well, uh, I was born in 1978, so I am pretty old. And... (laughs) I pretty much uh, grew up my entire life with this film. It's wow. it's it's in my top five. You know, I gave you a list when when you asked like what movies should we do. I gave you a list of of my top five, and uh, this is up there with. Uh, and I'll just throw it out there. You know, my my list starting at number one is Aliens, um, mm-hmm. the James Cameron film, and uh, number two I say is Return of the Jedi. Even though my life is just all Star Wars all the time, <laughs> uh, and, then, and then three, four, and five are uh, Ghostbusters, uh, Road Warrior, and Tron, and. That pretty much just makes up my entire essence as a, as a wow. kid growing up in, in the 80s right there. But mm-hmm. I will say this. Um, my dad did not had no disregard for the MPA ratings, so I saw, like, aliens in the theater when I was, like, seven years old um, or eight years old. Yeah, it terrified me, absolutely terrified me. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater. I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. Um, I never saw Road Warrior in the theater, and I never saw the original Tron in the theater up until about five uh-huh. years ago. And I can I can talk about that experience later. Um, it involves my wife, and it's 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 a fun experience. But um, I grew up renting it all the time from the video uh-huh. store. You know, I had the little toys. And, you know, back in the 80s, you didn't have, you know, the internet, you didn't have like any of these images, high res images you could look at online. So if I ever like, if I wanted to have a recall of the movie, if I wanted to, to draw the movie, I'd have to rent it, you know, I'd, I'd have mm-hmm. to experience it again. And uh, it was just, yeah, one of those movies that I really just loved as a kid. It just brought the imagination out of me. I, it was over my head, like way over my head, like yeah. as what was happening, you know, like I, I feel like I understand the movie much more as an adult than I did mm-hmm. as a kid um, and and I love it even with all of its you know faults and, and everything it is not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination it has massive amounts of faults to it especially when it comes to like storytelling conventions and stuff like that but just I'm the so heart glad. and the love is is there I think so mm-hmm. and what and what's your experience with it yeah, well, I the first time I heard of Tron was when Tron Legacy came out in 2010. I'd never even heard of it before that. And, and the first thing surrounding Tron Legacy was that it was a sequel to Tron, the 1980s movie. Um, I had no desire to see either movie whatsoever. Um, I didn't really know anything about it until I sat down to watch it an hour and a half ago. Um, and... I had no idea what it was about. I had no idea who was in it. Even when I was watching it, I was like, I know that man's voice is Jeff Bridges, but that man does not look like Jeff Bridges. (laughs) He's so young in the movie. Oh, he's so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm really glad that you said that the movie has flaws because I was really worried that I was going to come on here and like hurt your feelings because I can see why it wasn't an initial cinematic success but I can also see how it then became a cult success. Like, I can see both reasons behind that. I found it um, interesting to get through. I uh, It was a bit slow. The first sort of half an hour, at bang on 30 minutes in, he gets sucked into the machine, and that's perfect pacing. And then from there, I was 
like sort of oh gosh okay you're right in terms of the storytelling aspects about it I'm, I wasn't quite sure what was going on half the time but um the visual effects reminded me of Ralph Bashke's Lord of the Rings the animated version with the live action filming uh, with the hand-drawn animation on top it was really interesting visually I agree that it was imaginative the storytelling was very slow and the first half an hour is brilliantly paced, like you get straight into it, bang on 30 minutes in, he gets sucked into the computer and you're like, yes, let's do this, Jeff Bridges. Um, but then then I'm a bit like, huh, what? what? <laughs> uh, why is David Warner playing all of the characters? Like what? <laughs> um, and then at the end, he sort of comes out again and he's the boss of the company now and I was like oh uh, and then the credits rolled (laughs) um so I I don't think I would have uh if I had watched it as a kid I don't think it would have interested me back then either I could as an adult I could very much watch it from a like uh I really respect what they were doing in terms of visual effects it's very clearly like very early Pixar um kind of vibes um, I gotta say, it's love, a perfect yeah. movie to put on in the background at a party or something, and yeah, just the fair. the visuals of it, you know. And and I get everything that you're saying about it. I totally see it. Um, I totally get it. it it's and it, you know, I almost feel like I, I found a, a more of an appreciation love for it later in my life. As much as as a kid, it you know, it influenced me, but not as much as like Star Wars did, and probably not as <laughs> much as as Aliens did. And, you know, it was it's one of those movies that I've gotten into more so later on. But it has it has massive fall, faults in it, especially when it comes to the pacing, like you said. Yeah. Uh, the, the pacing's a bit wonky. Uh, and then when you get into the meat of the story in the middle of it, there's all kinds of little weird things that happen that you're like, why did that happen? Like when Jeff Bridges, uh, Flynn's character, knocks out one of the bad guys and then Jeff Bridges becomes red. And you're like, why did that happen? Yeah. And then and then then like. Like he at- also attacks Tron for a split second before Tron sort of knocks him off the edge, you know, and saves him, you know. But like, uh, like, why did he even attack Tron to begin with? It was like these yeah. weird little plot points that that they had to insert just to kind of make the story move forward. And yeah, but they didn't make sense or connect to anything. Um, there was no real threat. I didn't. I didn't feel like we were. I don't know. Like desperate to get out of there or anything why does he kiss the other guy's girlfriend <laughs> I, I literally thought that <laughs> well it, well that was originally his girlfriend back in the day right and then uh, uh tron um right. bruce, bruce box uh lightner his character yeah it's and then but at the same time it's like well that's a little scuzzy you're kissing another dude's girl like <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then she's like oh we thought you were dead and it's like at least wait 10 minutes yeah before you move on my god yeah like, i and, thought we were in love and and i'm i, I listened to your dark crystal um episode and i, I really enjoyed that and one thing that that both of uh, you and your host or your guest were talking about was just like kind of like the world building of of that mm-hmm. movie and I think Tron is a perfect example of a writer slash director who is totally into the world building of everything and, and totally yeah. understands what everything is sort of happening and doing in that world. But he's not as adept at like cr- crafting a story, like crafting mm-hmm. uh, a, some kind of a, a cohesive narrative. But it's one of those movies where the one side so outweighs the other, like his ability to create a world is like on a 10 where his ability to craft a story is on like a four, you know, like it's it's very, very offset. And, and, you know, and I, but I do, I do love the world that he's crafting. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily always love the story of Tron. I Mm -hmm. absolutely love the world. And it would be one of those, uh, one of those things where if I was playing with the toys, I wouldn't be retelling the movie. I would be like yeah. doing my own thing. Um, That's and again, cool and like, like it's yeah. I, I kind of want to stick on this whole like, like you know, plot versus visuals thing because there's there's so many holes and so many things that are lacking. But then mm-hmm. you get to something like the light cycle chase, the the light cycle thing in the middle where you know the yeah. whole big scene. To this day, that still looks amazing and. Uh-huh. 
as I was mentioning earlier, I'd never seen the movie until seeing it in the theater about five years ago. Um, my mm-hmm. wife, my then girlfriend, now wife, we saw it in this beautiful theater in downtown Los Angeles, and one of those like two story theaters where you can be on the balcony and everything. And oh, wow! Not gonna lie kind of pretty baked you know like we, we smoked we smoked before we saw it um but that was my first time seeing it on the big screen and i gotta tell you that light cycle scene especially when he says take him into the maze and it goes into that first person shot of in the maze mm-hmm. this movie's 40 years old 40 plus years old and it still looks absolutely amazing especially for this yeah. scene right here it was like um the Phantom Menace's pod race of this movie, <laughs> like out of out of uh, this like sludge, it demanded my attention, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is really cool and fun, and I'm enjoying watching this." And then the plot came back, and I was like, oh, "Never mind." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like all these loose things of like you know Flynn being a user, and like he brings Yuri the the girl Tron's girlfriend back to life, but then he can't bring Ram back to life, and there's all oh, right. Yeah, it's, you <laughs> don't like, know like. Right. Where does his powers lie? There's no you get no yeah. like idea of like how to latch on to his his powers, his godlike powers. But then so, you know, Lisberger, the director, does a bad job of that, of like sort of mm-hmm. crafting his powers. But he does a good job of doing this whole religious uh, iconography thing going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the story, like the, the ideas that he's trying to, to convey to people are there. It's just what he placed it in just, just, just sometimes does not make sense, you know? And I yeah. like the, the religious aspect of it, especially, you know, when, he, when Flynn actually tells Tron, he's like, I'm a user. And, and Tron's like, oh, well, then this is all part of your plan. And, you know, Flynn's like, well, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> I just sort of bumped into here. And he's like, well, doesn't, uh-huh. doesn't all, you know, that's, he's like, that sounds like a program. Like, we all kind of, like, move around uh, aimlessly. And he's like, look, I, I hate to break it to you, but that's how users are, too. And, you know, and it's like, what if God? told you that right yeah like, yeah yeah it's it's the just humanity was like an accident or yeah you'd be it, like what <laughs> it's just kind of heady you know and and he had he yeah. has ideas that he really wanted to convey but i really think that this was an example of uh you know sometimes like george lucas with the prequels it's an example of somebody who has had carte blanche to do the entire story themselves and just really (laughs) needed a partner like really needed someone to tell them no someone to shape the script because he he had great partners with the visual designs he had sid mead uh if you Mm -hmm. know sid mead just passed away like a couple weeks ago and he did the designs for like Blade Runner, for Aliens, uh, like wow. every sci-fi '80s movie that has the most amazing sci-fi stuff you've ever seen was pretty much Sid Mead. Um, and then Lisberger also had Mobius, um, a very famous uh, um, uh, UK artist, and um, he was known for like Heavy Metal magazine. He's known oh, for cool. uh, doing a lot of designs for Star Wars. He did a lot of the storyboards for Star, Star Wars. But look up, nice. look up Mobius. He is a huge. Uh, European comic book artist. I believe he's from France. Uh, please don't quote me on that, but I'm, <laughs> I think that's where he's from. But so, so Lisberger had these giant, like megalithic names helping him visually, but nobody helping him story wise. And mm-hmm. I think that is plain as the the nose on my face is is that's where the faults are in this movie. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and it's such a shame, as you say. Do you know if Tron Legacy in 2010? Uh, amended that in any way like did it bring a better story to this world that was so well built I mean I liked Tron Legacy I know that a lot of people had problems with it that story is a bit straightforward and I think it's a a better told story Um, Mm -hmm. but I I think people were like it was a bit too like linear you know there wasn't much to it but again Tron Legacy I saw that movie in the theater I think four times and uh, the the soundtrack I have the soundtrack for that I I loved it and I loved it as a continuation of Tron and where it went and you know dealing with Flynn older and you know disconnected Mm -hmm. from his father and then honestly truthfully uh, you said you saw Tron Legacy right or or, no i haven't okay so one thing i loved about tron legacy was actually the villain um in this movie uh um 
Flynn, the, the original Tron, Flynn uh, has this program called Clue that he basically puts into the – tries to hack for him at the beginning of the movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. You find out later, like after he becomes head of Incom, you find out later that he creates another character of Clue and uh, certified likeness upload, something like that. It's supposed to look like Flynn, right? And basically be right. Flynn in the grid, you know, uh, when he's cool. not there running things. But in Tron Legacy, essentially, uh, the character of Clue takes over the the grid oh, nice. and becomes the bad guy but it's it's in the way that that good villains are written you know like a, a good villain doesn't know that they're bad yeah. and you know clues like you know when clue finally comes face to face with his maker he's like i did what you wanted me to do i made this place perfect like this is what you made me for like why aren't you happy you know and that type of thing and i loved that emotion to it but i think it was a bit lost um uh, underneath a lot of, of baggage, maybe, in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I think Tron Legacy is absolutely fantastic. I think it holds up well. I think it's it's got an easier point of, of, of access because the, the graphics are better and the story is a little mm-hmm. bit better. But I highly recommend Legacy. It's a, it's a fun oh, nice. ride. It's really fun. That's really good to hear because usually when things come, like uh, very late sequels or remakes come into the theaters several, like, what, 20 years after the original, it's like, I'm going to assume that's going to be a piece of trash. Um, so that's really nice to hear that they built on what they previously had and it was still enjoyable. The original Tron 1982 was up for Best Costume, weirdly, <laughs> um, at the Academy Awards at the time. And Best Visual Effects, BAFTA, the Academy Awards did not want to give Best Visual Effects uh, nomination to Tron because they thought using computers was cheating. Right? Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> how how the, It's like we've done a 180, complete 180. Literally. And a lot of Disney animators didn't want to um, work on it because they were scared that computers would kill 2D animation. They Rightful- were not wrong. <laughs> yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> like, 20 years later, they shut the studio down um, until John Lasseter resurrected it again, thank God. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, I imagine if you showed Tron 1982 to children today, they would, um, you know... It, it is clunky, it is very early animation and CGI, but you're right in that it's still got a charm about it and it's still really imaginative and interesting to watch. So this was a Disney movie, so it was more age-appropriate than what you were watching alongside it in terms of Aliens <laughs> and even Star Wars, I don't Yeah, and, and that's, uh, that's honestly a, a thing that I run into with a lot of people. Um, they're like, oh man, you know, E.T., don't you love E.T.? And I'm like, let me again remind you, I saw, <laughs> I, I was born in 78, and everyone can do the math, but I saw Predator in the theater with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I saw RoboCop. <laughs> I saw a dude melt in front of my eyes in RoboCop, like, by the age of 10 right uh-huh. um i saw aliens you know and i turned out just fine but uh, <laughs> but like i don't have much affinity for movies like et and you know goonies and stuff like that yeah i saw mm-hmm. it but i've only seen like et like three or four times right i've seen mm-hmm. i've seen aliens like 300 times you know yeah. um so yeah this one actually oddly enough is the most yeah like age appropriate movie yeah. that i saw at that time um but back to what you're saying about how like kids you know watching it today it might be too clunky but visually it's amazing nothing looks like it even like even tron legacy doesn't look like this movie and Mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with the hand animation because this movie sort of technically is animated um i don't know if you looked into how they did the process but basically they sort of filmed them in black and white and they had the these suits were like white with like black reflectors on them and then they had to go in and like hand paint the the light coming through for for just every frame and panel and it's just and it's almost like like you were saying um uh the the animation term rotoscoping where you draw on top of of another of a basically a live action footage you draw on top of it. I personally love Ralph Bakshi's work. I'm a huge Ralph Bakshi Same. fan. I grew up. Uh, I, I'm an artist. I grew up, you know, art classes, um, reading comic books. I, I'm a huge nerd, huge artist, um, nerd, and I love, love, love Ralph Bakshi's stuff. Um, and it's very akin to that. It's it was very much a spin uh, on rotoscoping, and they had to do <laughs> every single panel or every single frame that way. And it's arduous, but but the handness, like the hand paintedness, 
is what makes it so unique. You you just couldn't yeah. create. You can't create like an algorithm to make it as like those random points of light that you know people are just doing by brushstrokes and stuff. You can't make an algorithm even have that. Like it just would never. You can't make it look that way ever again. And which is mm-hmm. nice that Tron Legacy just said we're not going to try to ape it. We're just going to take it to the next level. You know, but yeah. it makes this movie like. It makes it retain its specialness, you know. Yeah. Nothing ever since has ever looked like Tron, ever, mm-hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah, I, it really is really interesting to watch. Like, you start off in the sort of um, digital world, as it were, and so you're immediately confronted with these uh, figures that look odd and bizarre with their suits on in, the, in this sort of digital three-dimensional world and then you come back and it literally says on the screen like meanwhile in the real world and you I just couldn't wait to get back into that 3d world with those weird suits and, and everyone taking it so seriously like um because it, it so easily could have been so farcical with like the way they they look like like most sci-fis especially um pre-2000 sci-fis have that sort of almost cheesiness about them um but you the only time i was really taken aback was when the scientist dude in the real world was playing his counterpart in the tron world and he had like a massive penis on his head for a hat (laughs) (laughs) and i was like who designed that? What well, is this? Um, actually, if, if you go look at any of Mobius's artwork, uh, he is the king of, ha- of hat penises. It, that is one hundred and thirty percent Mobius oh, wow. right there. Trust me. Go, go look at some um, some early designs for like Empire Strikes Back and whatnot. Uh, Stormtroopers have mm-hmm. hat penises. It's really weird, but nice. Mobius loves that hat. I don't know what the deal is. That's a hundred percent Mobius. Yeah. And uh, did you notice that uh, the grand the old uh, the old guy the old programmer. Uh, the oldest guy in the in the movie. Um, that was the grandpa from Lost Boys too. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, amazing. <laughs> I love that. It's. I loved how there's so much multi rolling in this sort of Wizard of Oz vibes, where they'll play the user in the real world and then they'll play their digital counterpart yeah. with like a like a code name, as it were. So like, um, is his name Alan in the real world? Yeah. Is then Tron and. When Jeff Bridges is like, "Hey, Alan," and he's like, "I'm Tron. How do who do you know? How do you know who Alan is?" So they're aware that the real people exist, whereas the real people aren't aware that the computer people exist. It's really interesting. I got a lo- like like I got a bit of Logan's Run. I got a bit of like The Matrix. I got a bit of like the Lego Movie at one point. Like just all of these different things um, into this one movie where they were clearly trying to do so much and they had all these wonderful ideas. They just, you're right, they didn't focus it enough. They just didn't have that second person come in to reread the draft and, like, just streamline it a bit more. So it's a bit all over the place. Um, yeah. But I, it I, has so much potential. Yeah, I, 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 to this day, I mean, I love everything about it, even its faults. But, you know, would I rather live in an alternate reality where we had a, maybe a tighter version of that movie that was maybe a little bit better, a little bit well-received? Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but, but probably because, yeah, I, you know, I'm watching the movie and everything last night. And yeah, there's some parts where I'm like, all right, I'm going to look at my cell phone for a yeah, second or two, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, or, or when I went on a, a posting uh, tirade on, on Instagram and everything you just post some pictures from tron but i mean you know that's during some of the little bit of slower parts and they Mm -hmm. they exist you know they're they're definitely there and it's a you know it's an issue that i think george lucas also had with the prequels um although you know after sort of rewatching them in preparation for rise of skywalker i i do enjoy the prequels uh mostly and honestly i i actually kind of enjoy them because of their singular vision uh you know one person's sort of driving force and i like Mm -hmm. how different they are than than the original trilogy like story-wise um Mm. and this is not this is not a star wars podcast (laughs) but uh but you know it's but i but i'm also i guess i'm also a fan of 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 the auteur way of doing things like i love john carpenter i i I just really enjoy auteurs and Mm -hmm. i i like singular vision so i think like i think the fact that that knowing that tron is like a singular vision of lisberger's that even with its faults, I'm like, I love it because it's just one person's vision and it's not story created, you know, a, a movie created by committee type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. 
um, especially because it's a Disney movie as well. Uh, all of the creative control being given to this one artist, as it were, is, is so refreshing compared to the sort of uh, capitalist um, collaborations that come out these days yeah. from that studio. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking right at you, Star Wars Story Group. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and And I don't, I don't hate the sequel trilogy uh, at all, but I do, I do think that Star Wars, some movies that deal with, like, major mythology, they just really, you just need one person. And, and Tron, OG Tron, I, you know, I just call the 1982 version OG Tron. And, I mean, <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a mythology movie. It's, it's much more, yeah. it's, it's definitely a hero's journey you know but it's it's he's creating a whole new mythology that was just right at the brink of of something you know now we all live Mm -hmm. with our computers you and i are talking so in theory uh right like there's a version of me basically i don't know flying across the air trying to go meet a version of you to deliver this data packet or something right like like that's what the idea is behind it but now there's technology everywhere it's it's almost hard to even imagine you know where the little Tron people are, are in it um, mm-hmm. but but back then you know like especially with simpler video game graphics you could almost like yeah. say oh I get it like that little guy that's running on the screen is he's really exists you know in this yeah. in this world you know and and of course like it helped that there was a Tron video game that was out at the same time yes. which was which was fun well one part of it was fun. The light cycle part was fun. There was it's four <laughs> games. It's like it, it was basically a collection of mini games. It's four mini games. One of uh, them being the light cycle, and that uh-huh. was just the best one. <laughs> you always <laughs> wanted that one. Um, but you know, the but, the video game made more money than the movie did. Yeah, sadly, <laughs> sadly, it did. So funny. <laughs> and it's funny because that's literally what uh, Flynn is complaining about at the beginning <laughs> of the movies. Like, I, I, I'll get whatever money I can pinch out of these machines. And then you see that actually here in, in the real world that the, the video game version is actually more successful than the movie mm-hmm. version. <laughs> so funny. Definitely a hallmark of a true cult classic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it had, um, I'm terrified of the inevitable robot uprising, and this is very much a movie where the primary villain is, like, AI that got a bit out of hand, and he's all like, I'm gonna fucking take over the White House or whatever. And that's why they sort of have to shut it down. And, and like, that was scary. I I enjoyed that. I was like, yep, okay. Yeah, like, they they did a good job of making the threat uh, like actually happen in the real world as well because I think if the mm. threat was only digital like you you as a viewer would be like at the end of the day you're like okay but why does any of this matter if it's all a digital yeah. threat um, but at the same time I mean 1982 there was barely dial up internet like like getting out there in the world like so the idea that the villain was like hacking into the Kremlin and hacking into the the White House like that's just that's years ahead of its time all of this mm. stuff is just years ahead of its time yeah like did you you say it went over your head a lot as a kid um and it is a disney movie so i'm assuming it is for children or were they trying to aim it more at a teenage audience i think Um, the i think the latter i don't think that this is really aimed at kids although i think they were hoping that the visual aesthetic would be uh appealing enough but i think Mm -hmm. that story is so heady that I, I think kids just get bored with it at an earlier age, yeah. like too early of an age. If you try to show Tron to, I think, a kid too early, it's like, okay, they'll, they'll probably be engaged when, they get to the, when you get to the grid, when you get to the, you know, mm. the light cycles and stuff. But, you know, everything else about it, it's a, it's a bit slow. Yeah, it's, it's slow and it's, it's a lot of talking and understanding of, like, um, the dialogue that's happening. And there's, there's no sort of immediate, there's no, like, bam, 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 Darth Vader doesn't, like, throw someone across the room for you to go, oh, okay, he's the bad guy. It's just, like, a computer screen being, like, end of line. And David Warner being, like, uh-oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and you're, like, okay, I'm, like, nine. Is there a threat? I'm confused. Um, I have to say, I did feel like I was watching this as a child, which I do try and do when I rewatch these movies for my podcast. Um, and as a child, I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> robot's bad. Go, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you try to put yourself back in the mindset of being a child, and you're like, but then you, you, you fall into it uh, uh, too much. Um, yeah, but I really, you mentioned David Warner. 
I thought he did a great job as the villain. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he. You could tell that his his first off, he had the he had the Batman problem where he could. You could tell he couldn't move his head. You know, yeah. so he kind of had to like move his body. But I think he did a great job working within the parameters of the suit. And and speaking of the the suit design, I thought he looked really cool. Uh, Sark, the, the bad guy with his horns and everything. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's the devil. There's he's got the horns. Yeah, you know, the bad guy, and like with the red and constantly being under threat. So he played the sort of businessman in the real world. He played the sort of uh, evil guard in the Tron world, and then he also did the voice of like the main computer system that was the like evil AI. Yeah. Um, and he made them all distinct as well. He took it seriously. He like he looked like he was having fun, but respecting the movie mm-hmm. at the same time. Whereas that easily could have been given to someone that was just like, oh my god, give me my paycheck, like please. Right. Right, and he, um, yeah, he did a lot of, I think he did a lot of subtle acting, uh, a lot of mm-hmm. eye acting, especially uh, as Sark, you know, and um, and his his death when he, when Tron, like, blows his brain open, and, like, all those, like, circuits, like, fall out, and it's pretty, the circuits are all colorful, but then I took a step back, and I'm like, that's his brains, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's That's pretty brutal, right? It's, like, graphic. And um, Ram is one of the friends that Jeff Bridges makes very early on. And halfway through the movie, he dies. And, like, he just died. He doesn't come back. He dies. And yeah. it's, like, an on-screen death. And everyone talks about Mufasa being the first on-screen death of Disney. But here we are in 1982 watching Ram just, like, fizzle out in front of us and I was like he'll be back and then he never was and I was like oh you can resurrect people from the Jeff Richard what okay yeah yeah and it was kind of like it was a little sad too because I mean Ram just has this revelation that you're a user you know and and it was it was poorly delivered lines he was like the guy who was playing he was like uh user my user my user like something like that i was like oh man it was it was cringy it was really cringy and uh the the kid that played ram uh he played billy the kid in uh back to the future nope no, uh, bill, bill and ted yep yeah that's right i knew it was a time travel movie <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah he he died and and you know uh Flynn couldn't bring him back to life, which kind of stinks. But then it's funny because, like, two seconds later, Flynn's having the time of his life flying that vehicle. And I'm like, yeah, but your buddy's, like, corpse just evaporated right next to you. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um, So, like, tonally it's all over the place as well. It's like, are we sad? Are we not sad? Do we care about these people or not because they're computer systems? Um, To go back to your point on the acting, there was a lot of... um, When... uh, Tron comes back from the dead and his girlfriend's there and like she says something where she's just like he did it he threw himself into the stream of light and saved us and it just it was I was like oh my god there are so many trained actors out there in the world how even this movie it's Um, it's I mean I think even even Ram uh, is terrible and I'm not saying that these actors are terrible because as we all know that it's the director's job to direct the actors so and we've seen Ewan McGregor delivers you know stiff lines in the prequel trilogy and we know that he's a great actor so Mm -hmm. it's you know it's it's all the director right so when I make fun of of an actor it's it's the director I'm really making fun of but you know like Ram is bad you know they're all bad at at some point in time although Bruce Boxleitner I think does the best uh, consistently the best him and Flynn Mm -hmm. I think are consistently the best they seem to be having the, the most the most fun but you know, uh, it's it's easy, you know, to sort of rail on the acting. I'll, I will point out a, a scene that I always sort of enjoyed when um, – I, I don't think it was Flynn. Flynn was talking to Ram in the cells, the holding cells, and he was like, hey, what did you do before this? And I liked how Ram – like he kind of lit up when he started talking about, you know, people's – uh, uh, what was it like re- helping people with their retirement? Because he he just mm-hmm. like he just was working for like an actuary firm or something like that, like some kind of menial thing. But like that was his life, and he yeah. was passionate about it. Whether he was you know programmed to pe- to be passionate about it or not, that doesn't that doesn't matter. He was 
passionate about it, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that moment that Lisberger allowed the character to have, which was, you know, talk about his his old life in, in, in a fond way. And I thought the actor did yeah. a great job. Like he was he was kind of solemn at first, talking about being on the in the grid and the games, and then you know he lit up when he started talking about his. And and you know it's funny because it's like oh, but it sounds so boring. But to him, it was everything. Yeah. It was his entire world, and that made that made that character so much more deeper and endearing than than it had any right to be. I think personally yeah i think it made him human didn't it and jeff bridges does an okay job because he knows he is human um and i imagine there was a sort of however they filmed it was also being implemented onto their acting ability as well because it must have been kind of strange the way things were done they had to imagine a lot of stuff was there and it wasn't perhaps which can always be a bit uh stilting but also these other characters if you're given your script and you're like hey you're like a computer system you're like encarta in this movie, you'd be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just sort of exist then. Like, there's, you don't have any wants or thoughts or fears as much, I guess, so you can't really bring that into your acting, so you do become sort of more two-dimensional. So when he's talking about that, he's given almost a backstory that he can then cling to, and then he sort of comes alive. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I mean, Yuri, when we first meet her, she, she has to be snapped out of some sort of a trance almost doesn't she and but even then when she becomes back to normal she's still quite robotic i don't know does that make sense yeah no a hundred percent i also i've always had a problem with like she doesn't recognize tron at first and then she kind of like looks him in the eyes and she's like oh tron and yet they don't explain you know totally like what these characters are sort of like because they're sort of like uh been conscripted you know into this this uh army uh and i I guess even though you're not red you're you're still part of the you know the overall quote-unquote master control team um but yeah it's yeah it's that was one of the things that's a little bit confusing it's like okay why is she in a a dreamlike state at the beginning Uh, another thing that i mentioned earlier with flynn knocking out that one red guy and then sort of absorbing his red energy and then and then weirdly attacking Tron uh, later on the the air sailor thing or whatever it is, you know. And it's like, okay, I get it. You were you just needed to get the character of Flynn back to Tron, you know. But why didn't Flynn just stay in the background, even though he's red? Why wasn't he just in the background, like waving, like Tron? Hey, buddy, don't hit me. Why? Why did <laughs> yeah, he? Yeah. Like, why did he attack? You know, I, I didn't yeah. get that. Like, are you in, are you part of like some kind of hive mob mind, mentality <laughs> or something? My, you know, I don't know. But um, but yeah, those are those are the the potholes that are just big enough to drive a truck through. And yeah. you know, modern viewers, it's just like you just you watch it and you're like, but that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. And yeah, I just don't think that that's his strong point. You know, he he's definitely it's weird. I never until this conversation right now, I never really kind of compared Lisberger to uh, to the notorious uh, GL George Lucas. Um, but but they're very similar uh, in, in the regard that they have this love and appreciation for technology, and they also paint in broad strokes. You know, Lucas isn't mm-hmm. that concerned with the the nitty gritty of how the technology works in Star Wars, and and I'll argue with anyone to the end. Of end of time that um that star wars is not a sci-fi movie it's it's a fantasy film uh just you know set in like a space setting um but these are just two directors who are who are not quite concerned with how to get from one scene to another but they know that they need to get their character to that point and they also know like what they're trying to convey and express and Mm -hmm. yeah we're not going to worry about the the details i think George Lucas does it better than Lisberger, but George Lucas had more movies under his belt than Lisberger. Yeah, it's fair. That's a really, really interesting point, actually. Um, yeah, I agree. I <laughs> well, agree. That's why I like talking about movies because <laughs> you, you kind of don't you dig into these kind of concepts and, and whatnot in your head sometimes. Like you need another person to yeah. sort of you know springboard it off it and everything. Mm. I really enjoyed the ultimate frisbee in this movie. <laughs> the sort of way they fight. They use literal frisbees, but frisbees of light, and they're sort of just like throwing frisbees at each other and exploding, and like that. That was another really fun part. That was really like engaging and fun to watch. I mean, as a child of the '80s who's been watching this their entire life, a frisbee to me will always be a Tron disc first and <laughs> foremost, b- before yeah. a frisbee. Right? Like, I, yeah. I was introduced to a frisbee as a Tron disc before an actual frisbee. <laughs> Wow. 
<laughs> it's fun. It's the really fun, like uh, the the different lights. Like it's very. That's where I think a younger audience would be able to definitely enjoy it because I did. <laughs> <laughs> like the sort of like boing boing ping ping and like the different colors change and then they like grab it out of the air. But it's like light that they're grabbing, and then it becomes the disc of it mm-hmm. again, and then they throw it, and then it hits someone, and they explode, and it's just really fun. And I was like, "Wee, this is cool!" And then you like never really get to see it again. And I was like, <laughs> Bring that back! Bring the ultimate frisbee back! And and it's a perfect example of like sound design, like really helping things. When um, there was a shot on Ram's hand when he's doing the the frisbee sort of things while he's in the cell, kind of just doing frisbee stuff. And I mean, you can just tell it's a store bought frisbee, and I mean. <laughs> (laughs) it is like that's what they did it's a straight up store-bought frisbee but the fact that they add like whenever it hits his hand it's like that that glass sound that tink 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 glass sound for some reason it makes it special at that point it's like that's the prime example of how sound design can like elevate something and i was like oh yeah no it's not plastic it's glass like that's yeah it it makes sense um but it is it is one hundred percent a store bought, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, frisbee, oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, and like all their armor pieces are all like BMX bike shoulder pads and like yeah. hockey helmets. You know, it's all but just they, together. It's a costume. Mm-hmm. Like, even though you can sit back and be like, "Oh my god, they went to the dollar store to get this assembly together," but then it does look so impressive. I mean, uh, when Yuri came on for the first time, I was like, "That's cool. I'd cosplay as that." Like, they're just really fun. Um, so that for anyone that hasn't seen it, they're sort of like one-piece suits uh, that have, like, um, almost what looks like the insides of a computer, I guess. Like, like circuitry, yeah. Yeah, that's the word. Um, but they're lights, and then they've all got, like, helmets on. You can't really see their hair. They're all covered up with hats and stuff. Um, they're really fun. Jeff Bridges apparently had too much of a bulge in his suit, so he had to wear a dance belt to, like, hide it. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I've, I've also heard that, uh, that uh, I think the Disney studio that they were, they were shooting on, uh, on the lot, um, they had to issue a, like, uh, basically send them a memo and said, hey, whenever you guys go to the commissary, can you kind of wear um, bathrobes? Because we can see your junk everywhere. Every single guy and gal, we can see all of your junk and everything. Can you please wear bathrooms when you go and use the commentary? Uh, and actually, uh, for the helmet, um, they were originally supposed to be helmetless, but they couldn't get the uh, they, they couldn't map, map it. You know, like they, it just was too much for them. And uh, if you go and look online, you can find some behind the scenes shots of uh, of Bruce Boxleitner with his hair. And yeah, it's like you know, it's crazy hair. Like it's it's all spiked up yeah. and everything. It's it's really it's really interesting and uh it's a me thing but i can i can't say his name without calling him bruce box cutter for some reason yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a funny name yeah. <laughs> um but the outfits aren't like sexy they're not like overtly sexual or anything they're just tight i guess yeah <laughs> but they look really good in the program they look like they are part of that world it comes back to the world building as well like you can see why they were up for best costume um for the academy awards like it it was really cool yeah and and another thing like you know put yourself in in their shoes right like uh jeff bridges and and all them they're they're all sitting around they're doing wearing these outfits they're all the outfits are all white uh the circuitry that later glows is black like if you're looking at it just in the real world while they're filming it's straight up like attack of of the clones like they're literally standing in a room with all these padding these shaped pads that are supposed to be like that's a wall that's this you have to jump over this and if you look at it it's like I said, it's the prequels. It's everything is going to later be yeah. mapped in, you know. And they didn't they didn't get final shots until, like, I think six weeks or a few weeks into, like, already filming. So all these actors just had to trust that this wasn't going to look absolutely <laughs> stupid on the yeah. screen, you know. But they the, the I was watching a documentary on, the, like, um, a thing uh, on Disney Plus has a really cool – uh, documentary on this. Uh, it's not a making of. It's kind of him, uh, the director, and his son revisiting it, um, current time, and they, they're looking back on it. Um, but you know that that it could have turned out just crazy. It could have turned out terrible. But they they trusted him. You know they trusted him to turn out great. And he says when they got their first shots back, everyone was like, "Oh wow, that's 
that's what this is going to look like. Like that's what this yeah. stupid costume is going to look like. Like, <laughs> yeah. like that's a winner right there. And you know, it wasn't a winner. Spoiler alert, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. but you know, we have it now. And that's what, mm. you know, I think sometimes you need a cult classic film to fail when it first comes out in order for it to be a cult classic looking, you know, looked back upon fondly, uh, yeah. this day and age, you know, 40 yeah. years later, I'm sure it didn't help, help anybody back then. Right. No. <laughs> I'm sure people <laughs> lost their jobs because of it. But. <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that's so true. The definition of cult movie almost is like flop. Yeah, <laughs> then... like like it has to hit that that <laughs> checkpoint or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that I everything you said that's wrong with the film is is a hundred percent correct. Um, I think everything that you also liked about the film is is also a hundred percent correct. And without any nostalgia, I'm always hesitant to show this movie to anybody. Um, yeah, I think a, I truly think a good entry point to this movie is either having it on in the party in, in a background and having people like, oh, 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 what is that? Oh, that's neat, you know, but having the mm-hmm. volume off, you know, while everyone's just sort of mingling. Uh, and then, you know, one or two people might want to say, hey, I'm going to go check that out. Or just give your friends copious amounts of, of alcohol and, and weed and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they'll enjoy it and, uh, and it'll play well. But I, I, yeah, I'm always afraid that it won't play well for, for people. I do think Tron Legacy does. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you'll get now a lot more out of Tron Legacy when you watch it knowing the original Tron. It's uh, mm. it's a great movie on its own right. It's a lot of fun and you can follow the story on its own right. But knowing that you haven't seen it, Emily, and you uh, uh, just watched this, I would highly recommend watching Tron Legacy yeah. and, and really kind of having fun with it. It's a lot more streamlined. It doesn't have the wonky parts to it, but it's just not mm-hmm. like a, it's not a, it's just not as complicated of a story as I think some people yeah. are sort of wanting it to be. Um, but right. It's on Disney Plus, especially here in the U.S. Have you guys gotten Disney Plus yet? Yeah, no, I, I knew. Yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it, that sucks. Like, I, and I, the whole Mandalorian thing. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but um, it, when you guys do get it, you know it'll be on Disney Plus, uh, streaming in 4K. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Oh yeah, uh, I can on, imagine. And and they'll have uh, Tron Legacy on there too. Uh, mm-hmm. ch- check it out. I think I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll have fun. Yeah. With it. I think I will. I think um, if, the, as you say, the story is more streamlined as well and makes a bit more sense, then there's nothing to not like about it. It just suffered from being a bit clunky, as we've said. And um, yeah, so maybe in another 10 years, they'll revisit it and do something a bit more complicated or a bit more sort of I don't know. I don't know what people want from it. It's such a good world. You could do almost anything. Well, let me ask you this. Here's here's one problem that I have always kind of had about the Tron franchise. Uh, the movie Tron is actually kind of about Flynn. And then Tron Legacy, it's called Tron Legacy, and Tron, spoiler alert, not really in it at all. And <laughs> I think one of the and, – and, and it didn't really do well either, you know. Like the Tron franchise is having a hard time, I think, just – taking off outside of its if its pre-existing you know niche of, of people that watch it and I think the problem is is that the name Tron is not your main character it's not the person that you're trying to latch on to in this uh, in either of the films and you'll see what I yeah. mean uh, in the in Tron legacy and I think they missed a, a big problem with Tron Legacy I think they should have rebranded it as like the grid or something like that took Tron out of the name although I totally understand why they couldn't because they had to have that that name recognition but I think it's one of those times where like I think Lisberger should have named it something different way back in the day I mean like would would naming the movie Flynn be any worse than naming it Tron right yeah it's a good point I have to say um I had no idea what Tron was I was shocked to find that he was a character in the movie and not... I thought Tron was the world that they go to. That's why I keep referring to it as the Tron place because I'm like, they go to Tron, right? Like one would go to Narnia. Right. Um, But no, Tron is... Tron is the, like, not virus, like system that had been created by Alan to do something. (laughs) <laughs> to to keep he's he was basically like a watchdog for master control like uh, he was created to make sure that master control didn't do anything like hack the White House or hack the Kremlin or something but yeah it's it's so weird so, that yeah so it's bizarre that not only do they send Jeff Bridges in as a human to to save the day when really Tron's whole purpose is to save the day um, that 
the Tron counterpart wasn't the tr like it like Alan wasn't the main character. Flynn was. Like, yes. Who's who's whose heroic journey was it? Like wh whose hero's journey was this? Was it Flynn's hero's journey? Because he comes back changed afterwards. Um, but then he's like, he's not reluctant to enter. So it, it's got, it doesn't adhere to the full, you know, Cam Campbellian hero's yeah. journey thing. But, but at the same time, Tron has a little bit of a hero's journey. And I almost wonder, and this is my first time even thinking about it, would it have been a better movie if Alan had to go in and then he's interacting with his Tron? Tron's like, this why do you look thing. like me? You know? Yeah, that's what I was kind of expecting. When I clocked that they were all multi-rolling I was like ooh fun oh okay so Tron's one of the so then we'll oh wait no we're not doing that we're doing this instead like what that yeah then you have that sort of Prince and the Pauper vibe where yeah you're right they're all like let's work together and then that's really fun for the actor to be able to play these two different counterparts of almost the same character but we didn't have that which seems like Maybe they thought that and they thought it was too obvious. So they were like, let's do something else. But yeah, it's interesting that that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a weirdly structured film. And I, and I do think that, and I mean, I don't always say, hey, you have to adhere to the, the certain three-act structures and this and that. But when people don't, you gotta, you gotta do something really special to not yeah. make it weird, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, we're so used to that Western style of, of filmmaking now and storytelling that y if you're going to break out of it, you got to do it well. And yeah. th this didn't when it comes to, like, structuring of the film. And we've both said yeah. it multiple times that <laughs> the biggest faults that it has is its pacing and its structure. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good point. Yeah, but if you, if you haven't seen it, to all your listeners out there, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Like I said, on Disney Plus, and you oh, know, definitely for it, the for the visuals, a hundred percent. And if you're interested in that early animation CGI sort of stuff, definitely check this out. If you want to see a hot young Jeff Bridges who looks nothing <laughs> like a seventy year old Jeff Bridges, which makes sense. But you know, when you watch younger actors and you're like, you can still tell it's them. The only thing I knew that this was Jeff Bridges was because I know his voice from The Last Unicorn. And I was like, that's Jeff Bridges. But, like, that, that's not Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Have, you've never seen uh, Starman uh, or anything? No, I was checking through his Wikipedia and IMDb, and I don't think I've seen Jeff Bridges in nearly anything. <laughs> well, I've seen, like, The Big Lebowski once and, like, um, posters for Crazy Heart. And, like, that's it. <laughs> Uh, he was really good in the True Grit remake. Oh, uh, was, I watched, yeah, I watched yeah, True I, Grit. I love that. But young Jeff Bridges is a lot of fun to watch. He brings a mm. lot of energy to the table. Um, and yeah. you're going to see, when you watch Tron Legacy, Jeff Bridges does some, some – uh, he does a lot of multi – person stuff because he also has to play the villain uh, clue nice. and there's a shot at the beginning where they do like the um the rogue one tarkin de-aging uh thing to jeff oh, jeff cool. bridges yeah it's well if tarkin was okay this came out before that so there's definitely an upward swing that's been happening in technology <laughs> and uh, yeah. it kind of started with tron legacy it was one of the the that's biggest cool. like high profile like de-aging uh, it, it, like it, it had already existed before i think they did it with um uh, X Men Origins, the Wolverine movie was that was terrible. I think they de-aged um, Patrick Stewart, right. but the the whole Clue uh, Jeff Bridges thing, it's like taken to the next level. It's he gets more screen time than than Tarkin does even. Um, wow. But it, weirdly, it works because it's already in a digital world, so the the fakeness yeah. weirdly fits. They but, get away with it. Yeah, but in in Legacy, there is a shot at the beginning of the film that takes place in the real world before. Flynn kind of disappears or whatever with the story um, and you do see him in the real world as the CGI de-aged uh, Jeff Bridges and that looks absolutely Ooh. terrible and you're like oh yeah. god you're like the uncanny valley <laughs> just smacked me in the face basically yeah. <laughs> so but it's cool the overall the, and the, the light cycle set pieces on Legacy is just outstanding like like the mm. action set pieces in Legacy takes everything that you liked in this like Ultimate Frisbee times a thousand like it just nice. looks amazing so I I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, just quickly, a young Jeff Bridges did remind me of a young Kurt Russell. Like, the two were clearly the sort of men <laughs> yes. of the 80s. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, the, the guys, the... Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. And 
<laughs> and I gotta say, there's a there's a good a few good shots of uh, of Jeff Bridges and uh, Bruce ba- Boxleitner's uh, toned buns and their spandex in, in this movie. So I was like, mm-hmm. hey, good job, guys! Look at doing <laughs> yeah. those squats. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for giving me an excuse for watching it. I am really glad I've seen it, and I genuinely just wouldn't have watched it if you hadn't told me to. So. I- Thank I am you. happy to have given you that excuse, and uh, I, I totally get it. There's a lot of movies that my co-host and I watch on Podcasting After Dark where he had seen it, but not me. So, yeah. And I'm like, I ne- I'm like, I never would have watched this movie if you didn't make us watch it, and I'm glad yeah. you did, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much of that. Um, do you want to talk more about Podcasting After Dark and your many other things that you do? Yeah. Um, so uh, I have a couple – I have a few podcasts, but uh, I really just want to plug – podcasting after dark me and my buddy zach uh it's every other week we kind of break down and review these cult classic films from the 80s and the 90s but (laughs) unlike tron it's more like um life force and uh like action movies and and you know healthy dose of nudity healthy dose of violence (laughs) you know horror movies stuff like that uh we did like fright night we've done hardware um, we've done all kinds of movies. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, uh, we go through the movie. We actually break it down scene by scene. And mm-hmm. uh, like, and, and the conceit is uh, that one episode, Zach will pick a movie. And it doesn't have to be that I've never seen it. But like, I might not have seen it for a while. But he picks it. He's like, I love this movie as a kid. Let's watch this. And then he gets to revisit it. And then I get to visit sometimes for the first time. And then the next episode, uh, we'll do the reverse. And I'll pick it. And whoever picks it is the one that has to sort of track the film. And, uh, you know, some movies like uh, uh, Cyborg. I picked the Jean-Claude Van Damme Cyborg movie. I had like five pages of notes. And then I (laughs) I stupidly picked The Thing, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing to do. (laughs) And there's so much in that movie that I had 10 pages of notes and carpal tunnel by the end of it. So, uh, (laughs) but our episodes can go for like three hours long. Our longest one was um, The Thing. We talked for about three hours and 15 minutes. But, um... They're, they're long and beefy, so if you like the movie, enjoy it. Break it up into, into multiple sittings if you have to, but they're fun. And then uh, on the podcasting After Dark uh, Patreon, we kind of have some spinoff shows. We have um, this one show called Interviews After Dark, and we actually interview celebrities from these movies that we talk about. So we just interviewed Zach Ward, who played Scott Farkas in A Christmas Story. And he was also like in the second Resident Evil movie and whatnot. Um, we nice. interviewed Diane Franklin. She was in Terror Vision. She was in uh, Last American Virgin. She was in Better Off Dead. Uh, we interviewed Tom Matthews. He was in Return of the Living Dead. And uh, we interviewed Stephen Jeffries, who was Evil Ed in Fright Night. So we kind of, oh, and then we just also interviewed uh, Tony Timpone, who was the uh, longtime former editor of Fangoria magazine from like the 80s and the 90s. So he had just so he's like a walking encyclopedia of of knowledge. Um, so that's so cool. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like the spin. That's kind of like where we're at with with podcasting after dark. Uh, we're on all the major podcatchers. So if you just go to podcasting you can get to you know all the other podcasts spotify apple podcasts all that kind of stuff you can get there from there so yeah they are really really fun i listened to your fright nights episode and um it's really cool whether you've seen the movie or not because i've never seen the fright nights movies but i know a lot about them so it's really fun to sort of follow through and you sort of expand on things and you guys are really funny so definitely (laughs) check it out thank you one thing we never want to do is like outright make fun of something for being bad Mm. or well i take it back we we make fun (laughs) of it but we will also do put as much energy into what we like about it and i'll Mm -hmm. watch movies with zach that i'm not like in love with it as a whole but i'm able to like latch on to parts here and there and so like you know and I, i as you know like the fright night i actually didn't care for it but Uh I enjoy talking about it and I'll be happy to talk about what I do like about a film you know Mm -hmm. even if I don't like the the film as a whole so yeah it's and I know because I know a lot of people think oh okay is this just like how did this get made do you just talk about how crappy this movie is and I'm like actually it's the exact opposite we go into every movie assuming we're gonna love it uh, and then you know we're kind of let down here and there (laughs) but you know we'll even if we're let down by it like Cyborg you know we I was we both were with Cyborg 
we'll actually, you know, we'll still try to latch on to the stuff that we liked about it or like mm-hmm. we remembered we liked about it. So we don't yeah. just shit on the movie the entire time, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, it's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been such a joy. Um, definitely check out Tron if you've got Disney+. Plus. And if you haven't, hopefully we'll get it over here soon. Um, and I'm going to check out Tron Legacy. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye! Bye, guys and gals. We watched the film and we talked about it, but now it's time to say goodbye. We'll be back again with another movie that makes you want to ask why. Why? The wait is over. New episodes of The Walking Dead Season 10 are premiering early February 21st on AMC+. Don't miss the extended 10th season featuring six new episodes, each focused on fan-favorite characters. Prepare for all new high-stakes showdowns and emotional reckonings by catching up on the latest season before new episodes drop. With season binges, exclusive content, and early access to new episodes, the best Walking Dead experience is only on AMC+. Get lost in the Walking Dead universe today. Available ad-free and on demand. Sign up at amcplus.com. AMC+, only the good stuff. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully. With instant access to everything from Camelot, Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate and thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long lost movies and I hope you do too.